Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show, and we have a very big thank you to all of you who are listening. We have reached over 11 million downloads for the Typology podcast, and we have nothing but gratitude in our hearts. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing with your friends. We really do wholeheartedly believe that this tool, the Enneagram, is such a powerful tool for personal transformation. So thank you for sharing with your friends. And as a part of the celebration, we are playing some of our most popular podcasts. We're revisiting them. And today is Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Uninvited and It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, as well as 21 other books. She is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, and millions of people use her app First Five and Encouragement for Today Devotions daily. Lisa was recently awarded the Champions of Faith Author Award, and she has been published in multiple publications such as Fox News and CNN Online. Additionally, she has appeared on the Today Show as one of the leading voices in the Christian community. And each year, Lisa is a featured keynote presenter at more than 40 events across North America, including the Women of Joy Conferences and the Catalyst Leadership Conference. Needless to say, you are in for a treat today. Hey, before I let you go, remember to follow Ian on socials. And That's today Twitter, Instagram, Turkers. and Facebook at Ian Morgan Cron. And you can also follow us at Typology Podcast. That's at T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast. And lastly, if you love the show, if the show means a lot to you, we ask you to go over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hit five stars and leave us a review. It really helps other people to find the show so they can hear all these great interviews with our great guests as well. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Nothing left to say. And now, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Lisa Turkerst, welcome to Typology. Well, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of this podcast, and so it's such a joy and an honor to be with you. Well, we're a big fan of yours, and I'm a big fan of Enneagram Nines. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, it took me a while to figure out that I was a nine, but I think that's kind of typical for a nine. And uh, do you know the very first time I took an Enneagram test, um, I scored evenly across all numbers and I was so afraid that that was like, <laughs> like that, that revealed some sort of deep psychosis that I had going on. But, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm a nine, but I have a very strong wing eight mm. and my wing eight gets me in trouble. Yeah. I have a friend of mine. I have a friend of mine who has a daughter who's a nine wing eight and she, her daughter likes to say, my eight wing just did something that's going to take my nine <laughs> weeks to repair. I knew you were, I knew you were going to say that quote because I've heard you say that quote on the podcast before. And I've actually used that line uh, several times. Like, I'm so sorry. My eight is about to do something. It's going to take my nine a long time to clean up here. So I got it from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's been of use. Glad it's been of use. For sure. So nines are pleasant, 
you know, and I know this, by the way, because I'm married to a nine. I have a daughter who's a nine. I just, my life is beautifully furnished with nines, uh, which is, which is fantastic. Really, really fantastic. Pleasant, laid back, uh, accommodating nines are motivated by a need to keep the peace, uh, to maintain a sense of inner tranquility, to uh, merge with another individual or a group, uh, and to avoid conflict at all costs. Now, does that does that sound like you? Well, here's the thing. I don't avoid conflict at all costs. Um, I do want peace at all times, though. So... Mm. I don't want conflict to arise. So I find myself navigating my conversations, my relationships to prevent conflict. But because I spend so much time navigating and preventing the conflict from arising, if it ever does arise, I feel like I'm very well prepared to state my case. Mm. Um, And at the same time, here's the issue that I have in conflict. Um, which I, I don't know if it's an issue or maybe a benefit, but I, as, as a nine, I can feel what the other person's feeling. I can even agree with their side, even if personally I disagree with their side. So for a long time, I thought something was wrong with me. I thought, why <laughs> is it that I am so deeply empathetic with other people that even when I have a conflict with them, that I can see exactly where they're coming from, even if I don't agree with it. That is a, well, it, you're right. It could be a blessing or a curse, right? The, the blessing is, is that the other person feels heard and understood. And that is so important when you're having difficult conversations, right? Maybe we should call it that. Rather than conflict, sometimes it's just, mm. you know, how do we navigate, de- navigate difficult conversations? And yeah. so much of it, in my experience, is so how do we... Um, let another person know that we hear them and understand them, but we have an, another opinion, another thought, another idea. I recently um, came across a really great formula for nines, uh, well, for everybody, but I think maybe helpful as a, a schema for nines, which is you, you begin by saying, I feel, here's this little conflict thing, right? You know, I feel because, and then the reason, and then, something that you can do that's only in your control and something you hope the other person will do that really you're powerless over, but they, they, they have control over it. So for example, if you and I were having a fight, Lisa, I could say, uh, you know, Lisa, I feel sad when you blank because I think it, here's the second half, because I think it undermines our friendship. Mm. I will, uh, in, try to be a person who is receptive to your point of view and i hope that you will do blank 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 so it's a four-part thing right right i feel because you know the case blank right i can do this i hope you can do that mm-hmm. that's and it's excellent. just that everyone isn't that a nice little schema yeah that's really good i think i picked that up from a a wonderful uh uh, counselor I know, and it's been so helpful. So what led you to conclude that you're a nine? Like, what was the what was the big moment you went, boom, I'm a nine? Okay, well, I can let me start with why I was resistant to being a nine. Because I don't think that my chief sin is slothfulness. 
And I, cause I'm a very active person. However, I have two speeds, a hundred and zero. So mm. when I hit a zero, my whole family would agree. When I turn off, I will not turn back on. I cannot, I can, I, this, the whole concept of a second wind foreign to me my entire life. <laughs> I have never had a second wind. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is. I've heard people say that forever. You know, when you get your second wind about 11 o'clock at night? Nope, never. <laughs> wow. as, a, as a matter of fact, I, I remember when my kids were little, they're grown now, but I remember telling them, this is very bad theology, but it's very good. Um, uh, an understanding you need to have of your mother that at about 9 p.m. every night, the Holy Spirit leaves my body. So I cannot be <laughs> held accountable for what comes out of my mouth after 9 p.m. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Now, a nine with an eight wing would have more stamina than a nine with a one wing. And I do. And so I think that's where my 100 miles an hour get. Like, I can mm. go and go. I'm very, very driven. I really am. But here's another thing. To, I finally better understood where another little place that that slothfulness comes out and that is I get a secret thrill from avoiding the main thing that needs to be done. Mm. <laughs> I do. It's like if there's a big thing that needs to be done, it's secretly thrilling to me to avoid that and to get other things done. I know it's terrible. It's <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's that's there's a there's a funny but really true paradox in that, right? Which is that um in in some strange way, we get energy from what we're avoiding, right? Uh -huh. Which seems to be a little bit of chasing our own tail, right? To, you know, but you know, we all have these strategies that ultimately don't work for us, but seem to in the moment, right? Exactly. So for a while, I thought I was a three because I'm a very high achieving person, but I am too much of a peacemaker to be a three. I, and I am so committed to the truth. So, and if I feel like there's any deceit at all, self-deceit, or manipulation, I'm so sensitive in my spirit. So then I figure, I, so I kind of like, okay, I don't think that I'm a three. Then I went to a one and I thought maybe I'm a one wing nine, but I really can't be a one either because ones have such a hyper inner critic and I really don't have that. I like to be at peace inside of myself and outside of myself. So here's the big tip that, that kind of led me to nine wing eight. I, my whole life growing up, even when I was early married and having young children, and now even at my ministry, one of the main roles I play is a role of referee. I am called on to be the referee everywhere I go and have my entire life. So finally, when I kind of put all those pieces together, nine wing eight is where I landed. But I'm talking to the expert today. So if I've had some sort of Enneagram mistype, I'd love for you to say <laughs> that I have no, mistyped. You know, I, I as you as you as you may know, I, I avoid that like it's like, you know <laughs> I know, I wanted to see if I could trick you though. <laughs> no, I it's very rare that I'll stop. I think we've only had it twice where in the middle of an interview I've gone, 
Um, <laughs> gee, I wonder. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you some questions, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I think it sounds like you've done your work. And this is one of the things I love about the Enneagram, right? And rather than if you, 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 well, it's a journey. Sometimes it took me 10 months to figure out my type. And people look at you like, well, that's not very efficient. I mean, you know, like, why don't you just give me a test and give me a sure clad answer or something like that? Like, no, it's like you in order to arrive at that conclusion, you had to learn about a lot of other people. You had to learn about other ways of like, oh, maybe I'm this. And you had to research it and think about it and ponder it, pray through it, whatever, before you arrived at where you were. And, and to me, that's like the part of the joy of the whole journey. It was thrilling to me, to be honest. And. I enjoyed the process of elimination as I spent time with other people and learned more personally about the other numbers. I was very quick to identify. Um, I have a daughter that's a four and I'm not a four. I was very quick to identify that. I discovered I couldn't possibly be a one when I became utterly convinced my oldest daughter was correct in her assessment that she's a one. Hmm. My husband's a three. And, um, another, uh, and another good, good, close friend of mine is a three. I very much eliminated a three after really getting to know some of their nuances and motivations and fears and, and, uh, how they process things. Um, and then I have lots of eights in my life. And so for a while I wondered, you know, I have a lot of the strength and the, I can be direct, um, it takes me a bit to be direct, but I can get there. Um, but I'm not motivated like the eights in my life. And and so I see a lot of eight in me, but it, it was a beautiful journey. I And finally, when I landed and admitted, I'm a nine wing eight, um, I, I let it, I lived with it for just a little bit. And I'm, I'm happy with it now, most days. I'm s- well, I mean, nines are, are are just remarkable human beings, and and I and I love that you um, were just were able to say, you know, when I it it, it you know I owned my nineness, and I I just I found you know uh, just a sense of settledness in it. I just hope everybody does that. Me you know, too. Because initially. Initially, everybody's resistant to their type. In some ways, whatever type you're most resistant to might be your type. You know what I mean? It's almost a clue like, oh, whichever one maybe feels a little, oh, that might be it. But I do always hope that very shortly after people kind of move through the discomfort of exposure and, you know, looking at the downside of it and grimacing a little bit, that they kind of get to the place where they're like, no, I kind of love this. This is this is my thing. And I, I love being in the world uh, in this way, you know. So how how has knowing the Enneagram and how long has this been for you now? This has probably been from the first time I heard of the Enneagram, which I feel like I was a little slow to find. I feel like everyone in the world knew about it before me. But uh, I, I feel like I think the first time I heard about it was probably maybe two years ago. And um and I told you, you know, the first time I took the test, I scored equally across the board. Like I was every number. Mm. Um, that's kind of typical for a nine, though, too, I guess. Um, it is. And then uh, so it, it started on a journey. I was slow to read the books. Um, but then when I finally jumped on board and I read your book, The Road Back to You, I loved it. And I started to have conversations 
with people. And I feel like a lot of people are talking about the Enneagram right now. And so um, it just became something that um, it, it, it sneaks into almost all the conversations I have now when we're talking mm. with staff and, and when I'm talking with my family, it's helped me make sense of some really important things I needed to make sense of. Um, I don't know if you know that much about my story personally, but um, my husband and I went through a three year separation and um, a lot of devastation that happened in our marriage. And one of our counselors was Dr. Michael Cusick. Uh, well, I say doctor, I, oh. think, I think his name is actually Michael Cusick, but I think of him as a doctor. So we'll just go with that. Um, so he was our personal uh, marriage counselor doing a lot of intensive work with us. And um, it really has helped me better understand the unique wiring of not only when you're in your best moments, but when you're in your uh, worst moments. And it's also helped me understand how important it is not to use your Enneagram as a weapon against other people mm. or as an excuse for continued patterns of behavior that don't need to continue. Okay, so you said something just a, a few minutes ago that um, uh, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna sort of send a little flag up for me as an interesting question. Why is it that so many people are interested in the Enneagram? Like what, like what is this sudden interest that people have? Because I ask myself that question all the time. You know, I, I'm like, gee, I wonder what it is that has sort of set off this really flooding interest in the Enneagram. Well, I think people talk about um, their felt needs a lot. They may not know they're talking about their felt needs, but they do. And as an author, I'm always paying attention to this. So a felt need is either a question that they're asking or a problem that they're having. And they're looking for answers and solutions constantly. So as I pay attention to people's conversations, both in-person conversations, I have a staff of 65 people, I have a very large family, um, I have lots of conversations around me, but also conversations on um, the internet. I've discovered people talking about their problems and questions often lends them to talk about their wiring. And, uh, and we enjoy figuring out our wiring so we can better understand the conversations that we're having and the problems and questions that we're trying to solve and get answers for. So I think that people like to talk about themselves. They like to find solutions for themselves. And I think it's almost like we crave a system of understanding the, that which is not really easily understood. And that is human to human contact and human processing. And we don't really have a system for understanding the way people are wired apart from things like the Enneagram that can neatly put people in categories and explain some of their behavior so that as we're relating to one another, there are natural connection points and explainable differences. Mm. So in, this, in that season of difficulty uh, between you and your husband, I mean, and and in the and in that in the time frame since, has the enneagram featured as a as an instrument that of healing and of understanding and transformation? Are you using it in your relationship with each other? We use it every day. Really, tell we me about that. We use it every day. Well, you know, part of um, our story is not the reason why we were separated for three years, and the the, the source of the marriage trauma, which I talk about freely. 
Um, and my husband has given me permission to do so. And I've written a book about it called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Not so That's much right. about what we've been through, but how to process those deeply devastating times in your life. But um, my husband's an Enneagram 3 and uh, with a wing 2. So one thing I've poked at is like what really happened to unravel our relationship um, because it's important to me that I understand how to not continue some of those behaviors as we're repairing our relationship. Because on the outset, we were doing, Ian, all the things that you would think would prevent an unraveling of a relationship. We were committed to our family, both of us. We were going to church. We were um, we would go to marriage conferences. We were reading books. We were intentional about date nights. So there's like this checklist that we think if we do all of these things, that will equal a great relationship. Um, and on the outside, it did. The problem was that internal wiring that he had and the internal wiring that I had, that I had, it, it started to pull, uh, pull apart some of the behind the scenes intimacy that you need for a marriage. Now, let me give you a practical example because my husband and I have talked mm. a lot about this. Um, threes can be performers. They can be great at doing all of the right things and performing really well while internally having a battle that they have a hard time communicating. Um, mm. Also with his wing too, he loved being a helper but as I grew in my ministry and had the ability to hire assistants, I asked for his help more and more because I didn't want to inconvenience him. That's where my peacemaker comes in. You know, a peacemaker mm. never wants to feel like we're inconveniencing someone. And, right. and, um, and, and, unhealth and when, when I'm unhealthy as a nine, I will go to a six. And I can convince myself the sky is falling so quickly, it is not even yes. funny. And so to navigate some of those fears of I don't want to inconvenience him and I, I am worst case scenario when it comes to drama, he overcompensated with more performing so that I would never feel like the sky is falling. Mm. When inside, he really did have concerns that he wanted to talk to me about. But he knows I like peace and I need peace. So he was performing to keep the peace. I stopped asking him for help. The internal intimacy started to pull apart. And, um, and of course, it's more complicated than that. But as we've unpacked this, using some of the nuances of our Enneagram numbers has been tremendously helpful to help us understand behind the scenes um, really what was going on inside the very essence of our wiring. Mm. That, first of all, thank you for, for sharing your story and being so eloquent about how the Enneagram has been a useful tool, you know, in the middle of it all. And again, this is something I'm so grateful for is we need a vernacular. Mm -hmm. Like, it, you know, we mm. need a language mm -hmm. when we start to talk about our interior landscape. And none of us have it. I mean, you know, none of our parents don't, we're a mystery to ourselves. We don't know how to, ugh, how do I explain what I'm feeling and thinking and why? And But suddenly the Enneagram comes in. It gives us a low-resolution picture of our inter interior world. It's not perfect, but it's a starting place. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just a good starting place. It is a good starting place. And so I'll give you one more example. And this is kind of a funny example, 
but I've learned um, with, with a nine, um, I don't even want to call conflict conflict. I call it growth opportunities. <laughs> like <laughs> we're going to have a growth opportunity that's conversation exactly, right now. That's exactly. And so I've had to learn it is okay to have conflict. It is okay. So mm. like, for example, forever when I was raising my kids, I would say things like my kids would say, you know, I'm so mad about this, or I'm so sad about this. And I would instantly jump in and go, you're not mad. You're not sad because look at all these wonderful things that we can think about right now. And so of course I knew this day would come one day when my kids would all go to therapy and then come back to me, you know, right. that's yes. why, that's yep. why I kept scrapbooks. So, but I would have proof of all the good things I did as a mom. So then, <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 but um, a couple of my kids went to onsite and um, that was fantastic too. But one of the yeah. things they learned is that it is good to say, I am sad. I am mad. But when you have a peacemaker mom, which I am, I was all the time trying to navigate and rename things like we're not sad. We just need to go play or we're not mad. We just need to be kind to one another and we don't have fights. We have growth opportunities. And you see all that looks so good on the outside. And it, it is my way of avoiding, if you will, conflict. Um, but it's also, it can be detrimental within relationships because the reality is people were mad. People were sad. People had things that they, hard things they needed to talk about. Hmm. Well, I, one of the things I just appreciate is your, you know, owning, you know, what was my piece in that, uh, you know, unhealthy dance in the family, mm -hmm. you know, and we all have unhealthy dances in the family, mm -hmm. right? And uh, one of the things I, I, I share with parents a lot, you know, is um, I, I tell them, don't be afraid. It's never too late to tell your kids you're sorry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and to ask their forgiveness. There is something so mm. powerful especially in their adolescent years, but forever, you know, just telling your kids, Hey, you know what? Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't do that. Well, yeah, we were in what, and, and when you explain to a kid too, Hey, guess what? I was growing up at the same time, right? You know, I, I was growing up too. That's right. And, uh, you know, and so forgive me for the things I did and the things I failed to do. And, um, you know, uh, and then you see, you know, kids just, I mean, I've seen it repeatedly, just kids melt. All they just needed was for the parent to acknowledge their humanness. That's right. You know? And I think it's good, too, to be able to um, identify where you're dancing around your own dysfunction and say, mm -hmm. we've danced around this dysfunction long enough. Um, for example, we had some remodeling done at our house and um, somehow the lights in our backyard got attached to the hot water heater. So if the lights were on, the hot water heater worked. If the lights got turned off, which obviously they do every single night, the hot water heater goes mm -hmm. off. So I right. kept trying. I, it took me forever to identify, oh my goodness, somehow the wires have gotten so crossed in our remodeling process that the hot water heater is attached to the lights in the backyard. So, but, in, <laughs> but instead of, <laughs> but instead of me 
calling the electrician and saying, hey, wires got crossed here. I started telling everyone that came to the house, hey, just if you need to take a hot shower, make sure the lights are turned on in the backyard. Do you see how dysfunctional that is? Like that's such mm. an example of dancing around a dysfunction that's there. And that's a funny example because we're talking about a hot water heater and light. But often in families, it is good to take a step back and saying, what is something incredibly dysfunctional that we've danced around way too long that we really need to bring up at this moment in our family and acknowledge it's time to make some, some progress here. It's time for some healing here. And so just like you said, it's never too late to apologize to your kids. I think it's also never too late to acknowledge areas of dysfunction and address it with the whole family as a whole. <laughs> for some reason, well, first, I mean, I think that's incredible wisdom. Uh, and But as you were talking, and you'll appreciate this as an eight-wing, I have a daughter who uh, is an eight on the Enneagram who you would love. I mean, she is just a a tornado with legs. And she, she, one time she said to my wife, my wife's a nine and she, she grabbed the phone out of my wife's hand one time. Cause my wife was just kindly not hanging up on a salesperson on the phone. <laughs> and my daughter took the phone out of her hand and said, never call us again. And she hung it up and she, <laughs> no! she looks at my, she looked at my wife and she goes, it's never too late to yell at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, it's. I think my it's never... daughter, who's a one, would do that same thing to me because she just says, Mom, you don't have to be so kind to every single person. And I said, What are you talking about? Of course you have to be kind to every single person, you know? And she said, Mom, and I said, Why are you being discouraging? She said, I'm not, I'm being realistic. <laughs> mm, wow. Well, you know, our kids are our best tutors, you know? <laughs> yes, they are. You do a lot, and I know that your writing and your work is helpful to all all people. Uh, but you, you know, you obviously have a great deal of women in your universe uh, that that you speak to. And I'm just curious. And I've never asked this question of somebody, but what message would you give to women nines? Like, what wisdom would you want to impart to women nines specifically? Well, first of all, I would say the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So I think that is true. I think that that there is a lot of really good um, stuff that we bring to the world in bring, being peacemakers. And I think it's wonderful. I A caution I would give to the nine is, according to the Bible, you know, we are given the command to love but we must not confuse the command to love with the disease to please. I, mm. I think that's really important because I think as a nine, it's very easy to um, feel like you need to please everyone. And it's also very easy to believe that you can only be your best self when you're being like the person that you're with. And the reality is you don't need to be like the person you're with. Part of the delight of being you is that you bring different qualities and it's okay. It's actually good. It's colorful and delightful and energy bringing and um, expressive when you decide who you are and bring that to the table rather than always feeling like if, if I'm with a certain type of person, I need to be more like them to make them feel comfortable. That's not really true. So I, mm. I would say to other women, 
who are nines, it is delightful to be a nine, but it's also powerful to be a nine. And so don't, mm. don't think that just because your natural tendency is for peace, that there's not power in that. I think there's a lot of power in that. Boom, mic drop. So good. We got to end on that. That's, <laughs> that's the boom mic drop moment right yes. there. Lisa, tell folks what you're up to. I mean, you've obviously you're a number one New York Times bestseller, the book Uninvited, your book It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. What? How do people find out about what you're doing? What are you excited about next? Okay, so it's easy to connect with me. My favorite place to connect with people is through Instagram, and my Instagram handle is at Lisa Turkers. You can also connect with me through Facebook. Um, and then Proverbs 31 Ministries, the website, www.proverbs31.org. All good places to connect with the work that I'm doing and um, and where I, if I'm hanging out in the World Wide Web, uh, Instagram is typically where I hang out. But uh, what am I doing next? Well, I am working on a new book project that I think will be a good follow-up to It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It's not supposed to be this way. If you were to nail that message down in one word, it's disappointment. Where does disappointment mm. come from? What do we do about it? Especially when disappointments grow to life-altering devastations that have left you completely shattered. Um, so I do tell my story about what my family has been through and the devastations that we've walked through. But it's not an expose on me and my marriage and my husband being unfaithful. It's not that. That provides a gentle story in the as the backbone of the book and explains some of the emotion that I bring to the book. Um, but next, I'm writing a book on forgiveness and moving on, which I think um, is another big topic that I want to explore for myself and an and area that I need to grow in. You know, I always tell people, um, especially my editors, I always say, don't look at me as a New York Times bestselling author, even though I am. Look at me as a first-time author of a new message because I'm that also. Every new message, I'm a first-time author all over again, right? And so mm -hmm. um, I write about what I struggle with, and I write about areas where I need to grow in. And I know I'm going to do two years of research with this book. So I want it to be research that's going to benefit me personally, as well as benefit the audience that will eventually read this message. So forgiveness is um, a big thing. And how do we move on in healthy ways? Um, that's a big thing. So that's what I'm working on now. Mm. Well, I can't wait to read it. And I can't wait to have you back on so we can talk about uh, forgiveness uh, for Enneagram Nines, which actually uh, is its own sort of a thing. I mean, it, it it's something that could that bears are exploring together. Well, I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you for for being on, for being a nine, for bringing peace into the world uh, wherever you go, and for the incredible ability that you all have to reconcile the irreconcilable oftentimes, not just with people, but with ideas, you know, with points of view. I mean, it's, it's an amazing charism. It's a gift that you bring to the table of life that we all get to enjoy. So peace and grace to you and all the things that you're doing. And I hope you come when you're in Nashville in the Franklin area that you'll you'll be sure to come by the studio and hang out with us. That sounds great. I would love that. That would be such a joy. And thank you for what you do. You are helping all of us understand our wiring, 
our connectivity to each other and how to be the best version of us we can be. So you've given the world quite a gift and I really appreciate you. Thanks a lot. And everybody out there listening to our podcast today from Anthony Skinner, yes. my sidekick. Hey, fantastic show and great to be with you today, Ian. And from me, all our love and remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourselves. Everybody else is already taken. See ya.